0: Welcome to the Miss Medical Podcast, Diagnosis Flatline. I'm your host, Destry Godwin. Miss Medical explores stories of misdiagnosis, malpractice, mysteries, and misogyny. You're my interns, and this is where true crime and medicine collide. This is Miss Medical. Hi, interns, and welcome back to Miss Medical. Today, we are joined by a special guest, Jason Chamberlain. Hi, everyone. Who you may or may not know is responsible actually for all of the music here on Miss Medical. So, he's going to be providing some feedback to our story and asking some questions along the way that you might have in your mind, but you're not able to ask while you're listening. For today's story, we need to travel to South Carolina. USA, where we meet Casey Ward. Back in 2018, Casey was 29 years old and she kept busy by chasing down her dreams. While many 29-year-olds might be just starting to make headway on their adult goals, Casey had already accomplished many of hers. She was a paramedic in the Charleston area and was happily married to her husband, Larry, who was also a paramedic. They had one child together with plans to continue growing their family. That same year, Casey experienced a sharp pain in her upper abdomen. Being a paramedic and having a medical background, she didn't waste any time and went straight to the local emergency room to have the pain assessed. After listening to her symptoms and concerns, the doctor told Casey it was likely just constipation and she shouldn't worry. But this didn't really ease Casey's concerns. After she was discharged, she kept going over the diagnosis in her mind, but it just didn't seem to fit. She was well aware of the symptoms of constipation and where that type of pain would typically be in your abdomen, and she felt confident that. It just wasn't the right diagnosis. Hmm. Ultimately, though, Casey carried on pushing through her day-to-day life. The pain would come and go at times, and she ultimately ended up visiting several doctors over the next few months about it. And this time, she got a new diagnosis. A bad gallbladder.
1: Isn't that specifically a pain that's on one side of your body?
0: Yeah, generally speaking, it definitely would be. For those who want a quick medical lesson, the gallbladder is basically like a little change purse for bile. Your liver is constantly producing bile and kind of tucks it away into the gallbladder for safekeeping. When you eat, your stomach releases a hormone that causes the muscles around the gallbladder to contract, which forces out that bile, which then goes down a bile water slide and ends up in your small intestine. And the purpose of vial is to help you digest fats. To your point, this cute little pear-shaped organ is actually tucked up underneath of your liver in the upper right part of your abdomen. So you would definitely expect to feel that pain if you had a bad gallbladder specifically on your right side. Casey had several tests run over these months of appointments, but none of them could seem to definitively identify what was specifically wrong with the gallbladder. But that didn't sway the confidence in the diagnosis, and Casey was consistently told that it really was just a bad gallbladder. Since they couldn't say exactly what was bad about it, they decided the best course of action would probably be to just remove it. That seems like a straightforward plan, and it's often the course of treatment for gallbladder issues, but this one came with a hitch.
1: Oh, pray tell.
0: Casey was pregnant with her second child now, so they wouldn't be able to perform surgery until after the baby was born. We all know pregnancies last nine months, but for Casey it felt like an eternity, Her pain got exponentially worse as the time ticked on. Combined with the normal aches and pains of pregnancy, Casey quickly reached a point where she couldn't physically function anymore without extreme pain. She rarely left her house as walking was intensely painful, and she reached a point where even deep breathing was painful. She begged doctors to perform the gallbladder surgery even though realistically she knew that that was in vain as long as she was still pregnant the doctors assured her that the surgery would be the top priority as soon as the baby was delivered
1: I thought gallbladders had like attacks as opposed to just constant ongoing pain
0: that definitely is more common with a gallbladder where you would have episodes of pain and I think that might be part of why Casey wasn't sure that this was actually the right diagnosis for her, um, because this pain seemed to just be constant and consistently intensifying rather than being, uh, I guess, episodic in having pain here and then there and then having periods of relief in between.
1: Is it infected? Is that the idea behind a gallbladder attack?
0: It really kind of depends on what's causing the issue. There's a lot of things that can go wrong in a gallbladder, but in Casey's case, they really couldn't actually narrow anything down. So they couldn't tell her if it was uh, an issue with infection or if there was backup or stones or Mm. um, some kind of structural issue within the gallbladder to even know what the problem was.
1: Oh, that sucks.
0: For the most part, the doctors kept their word. Once Casey delivered baby Layton, she was given some time to recover, and her surgery date was booked for eight weeks after her delivery. Casey had hoped that the pain would ease up a bit without the added strain on her body of being pregnant, but it didn't actually bring any relief at all. She gritted her teeth and carried on, and the countdown to her surgery date was always on the forefront of her mind. And she almost made it. She was only two days away from her surgery date when she was overwhelmed with pain. She went to the ER and told them she absolutely could not wait even two more days. She had endured months of this relentless pain that had overshadowed her entire pregnancy and newborn bonding time, and she had reached her breaking point. Her advocating earned her an ultrasound. And the results left the doctors stunned.
1: Oh, man. Why didn't they just do an ultrasound before?
0: That's a really good question, actually. But when they did the ultrasound, they found Casey's gallbladder. But they also found an uninvited guest. A tumor the size of a grapefruit. Oh, man. Casey's surgery still went ahead, but instead of being a mission to remove her gallbladder, it became a mission to get a biopsy of the tumor and figure out what was going on. While Casey was on pins and needles awaiting the results, her doctors reassured her that it was most likely benign. After all, she was young and healthy. Casey had faith that the doctors knew what they were talking about. And two weeks later, her results were back. Casey had cancer.
1: Poor girl, that's terrible.
0: The cancer had originated in her bile duct, which, if you recall, is the system that would connect the gallbladder to the liver and the small intestine. The technical term for this cancer is cholangiocarcinoma, which basically encompasses almost all bile duct cancers where the cells that are involved are gland cells. It is possible to have other types of gallbladder cancer, such as small cell, sarcoma, or lymphoma, but these are pretty exceptionally rare. According to cancer.org, only about 8,000 people in the U.S. per year are diagnosed with bile duct cancers, and it's usually diagnosed in older people. The average age of diagnosis is 71. In Casey's case, the cancer was no longer just contained to her bile duct. It had spread to her leg and her lung. To really understand how devastating this was to Casey, the average 5-year survival rate for distant metastasis is a shocking 2%. Her medical team knew all of this, though. They told Casey she had anywhere from one day to six months to live.
1: How does that even happen? How do you get pain that severe and it's just decided that it's one thing and it's just left and left and left? And if you don't advocate, you know, to the point where, I don't know, you're paying for your own scans and you're trying to make your own diagnosis, you basically risk a death sentence.
0: I'm I can't even imagine what Casey must have felt at that point. The fact that she worked in healthcare and she felt the diagnosis didn't fit even right from the start and then to be told and reassured over and over again that it's one specific problem even though she felt the diagnosis didn't fit and then to find out that it was wrong to the point that it could cost her her life. I I can't fathom what that must have felt like for her.
1: And she's a paramedic?
0: She is. Her and her husband are paramedics.
1: So they're in medicine. They're even in the system. And they're still getting this mis... Well, what is apparently a misdiagnosis.
0: Right. Which is so true because I think, especially in the medical community, we have a tendency to look out for each other where you would normally expect... Uh, people within the medical field to receive not better care, but where their concerns might be more listened to and they're less likely to be passed off as, you know, being overdramatic or not knowing what they're talking about because these are their colleagues usually that are examining them and trying to make a diagnosis. Casey's head at this point was spinning. I mean, like you said, how, how like how can this even happen? How can this be true? Casey was young and healthy and mom to a two and a half year old and a nine week old baby. When Casey asked, I'm sure more rhetorically than anything, she was told it was possible that the hormones from her pregnancy had accelerated the growth of the tumor and ultimately the spread of the cancer.
1: Is it a small cell? Uh, type of cancer or is that not really discussed
0: this particular tumor was not small cell Uh, you can get small cell tumors in the gallbladder but they are extremely rare so this was particular to gland cells Hmm. casey started treatment right away with the aim of extending her life as much as possible She was determined to fight with everything she had to spend more time with her husband and children. She spent more than a year receiving IV chemotherapy, but it came with a host of side effects. When those side effects progressed to including fluid accumulating in her chest, she switched to oral chemotherapy instead. This helped to relieve some of the unpleasant side effects, But she still had to deal with dizziness and sores on her skin, which, I mean, as we know, would make it very difficult to really fully enjoy spending time with young children.
1: I'm sure most people know this. I'm one of the few that don't, but the difference between chemo versus radiation therapy, I genuinely don't know the difference.
0: So chemotherapy is more of a drug therapy. Think of it like taking Tylenol for a headache. Mm. And radiation is more uh, targeted therapy which uses radiation um, to help destroy the cells that exist within the tumor. So so mm. it's radiation can be much more invasive of a treatment. Um, which also comes with its own risk factors. A lot of patients, uh, which a lot of people actually don't know, but uh, cancer patients who receive radiation therapy are actually at risk of developing secondary tumors that are caused by radiation exposure in the future.
1: I see. So they would have just intravenous this fluid. Right.
0: Okay. Casey started with the IV chemo, uh, but that was a bit too intense Mm. uh, with it being kind of a direct entry and probably a pretty significant dosage given her diagnosis and her life expectancy. And then she made the choice to switch to an oral medication, which your body would process and absorb a little bit slower uh, to try and reduce some of those side effects. Mm. It's been over two years now since Casey received her diagnosis, and miraculously, she is still in treatment and continuing to fight. The will of her spirit is shining brightly, and she is using her story to spread awareness for people to advocate for their health when they feel something is wrong. Casey has already far surpassed what the doctors had told her is she would survive. And I think she fights every single day to be here to tell us to fight for ourselves and to spend that time with her husband and her children.
1: I think one of the big takeaways from her story, too, is the nature of her sickness. It is so time critical with a cancer and it is growing, and then it may spread, and I don't know much about cancers, but I know when they get into the lymph node system, then it's very difficult to slow them down. If you're not self-advocating to find out what is wrong, then the system will miss you. It's crazy. It's a crazy story.
0: Yeah, and you you definitely see it here with Casey. Like, Even doing her best to try and advocate for herself and going back to doctors and back to emergency rooms saying that she was still having this pain and to still be misdiagnosed so many times, it becomes a bit of a problem in medicine that is quite well known where as soon as an initial diagnosis is made... Follow-up doctors are more likely to just try to reconfirm the original diagnosis than to go against what their colleague has said and to run further testing try, trying to find a differential diagnosis.
1: Yeah, I can see that for sure.
0: Doctors usually have the best intentions for sure, but we are all human and mistakes do happen Sometimes it's through an innocent error where an alternate diagnosis seems more likely, though sometimes it is due to more sinister reasons such as negligent doctors or deep-seated medical misogyny. I'll leave you with Casey's words that she wanted us all to know. Despite all that she's facing, she is urging people to demand answers when they think something is wrong with their body. As Casey says, quote, if we don't advocate for ourselves, no one will, end quote.
1: It's amazing. This is very, hits very close to home. And my grandpa, who was a firecracker of a man, very like outgoing, full of life, just radiant. And even into his seventies, he was still going to the gym, still going for his morning walks, did pretty much everything right. And, um started getting pain in his, in his stomach and went to his doctor and doctor kind of said it might be gas or it could be constipation. And this went on for months and then my grandpa would kind of just push through it. And then eventually when my, my mom had heard about it, who insisted he see somebody else, who he did, who then led him to get some scans. Turned out at that point he had stage four pancreatic cancer. Yeah. And he had less than six weeks to live. He didn't know to self-advocate for himself. And he didn't really talk about it with us. And none of us really knew what was going on. And that sh- basically shortened his life. He had less than a year and he was gone.
0: And I think especially with your grandpa being like having an immigrant background where, you know, he had such a different experience growing up than what what we have had or what many people that are, you know, native to North America have had where he probably didn't even know in a way that that you really need to advocate for yourself. Mm-hmm. Because we really tell that like healthcare, especially in North America, is so advanced and it's so, you know, we really look out for the best interest of the health of people. But at the end of the day, it's really up to the individual person to go to bat for yourself and Mm. even to the point sometimes of getting in arguments to get yourself heard and have yourself taken seriously.
1: And there's such a gap to, and I've personally experienced this, between very basic fundamental scans like an ultrasound, which is quick and cheap and very little wait time, to something like uh, an MRI where I can't speak for different uh, states in in america but i know in canada pre-covid you're looking at nine months to a year wait post-covid you're a year and a half to two year wait for an mri possibly one of the most important scans you'll ever have by the time you're at that point in Mm -hmm. trying to find a diagnosis
0: yeah i i really do think that if people have something that's ongoing that's very chronic for them that's not something to be ignored and Mm -hmm. it's almost too easy to get comfortable with just that that's just how it always is right like oh i always have this pain in my abdomen or i've always kind of had this issue it's just kind of been a little bit worse lately and it's really easy to think that that's kind of your norm and you almost downplay it in the medical field where you might see your family doctor about it but you don't advocate as hard as you probably should Mm -hmm. Where if it was a sudden acute pain where you were going to the emergency room, ranking your pain as a 10 out of 10, and you're in that environment where they can order a CT or an MRI straight away, you can have it done the same day in the Mm -hmm. hospital. Mm -hmm. But when you become almost complacent with your symptoms... Whether it's because you've become used to those symptoms, or or you're
1: treating the pain,
0: or exactly, or you're you're treating the symptoms as they come up, you know, where you're just so used to it that it doesn't seem like it's urgent to you anymore, and then you're not advocating at the same level as what you probably should be. But really, anything that is a chronic pain issue or a chronic problem is most likely indicating that there is a much bigger underlying issue that's causing that for you it's not just Mm. it's not just a one-off that you've got a stomach ache you know yeah
1: and I think it's um when we talked about this case like cancer is very can be very time sensitive and like I've had injuries which are not time sensitive but without a proper diagnosis you will make them worse and Mm -hmm. I mean I had pain in one of my fingers for a while and uh, went to the doctor once. Nothing really became of it. Went to the doctor a second time, agreed to get an x-ray, which was fairly quick, and and turned out it was fractured. It's not that that you could do anything with that, but at least I knew not to maybe use it quite as much as I should. It needs time to heal. And uh, having a hernia. That's something that you can make a lot worse yes. if you don't know it's there. And this was multiple doctor's visits, two ultrasounds. Nobody could find anything. It turned into an anguinal hernia, which, which I've learned is quite dangerous because you can get pinches in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but once it was properly diagnosed from a hernia surgeon, everything changed then. And the mm-hmm. course that I went changed. But it was, man, it was a struggle to, to try to figure out where is this pain coming from and our bodies are so complex because you know uh the nerves run from the, your lower back down your side through your your groin and then down your leg and the pain mm-hmm. would move around and i feel like maybe in casey's situation maybe it was a bit like that too
0: it's so true it it really kind of depends on what professional you see in a way like i'm um, if you have a stomach ache and you go to a neurologist, you know, they're going to tell you that it's referred pain from some issue happening within your brain. Mm. And your family doctor might tell you that it's just from anxiety. Mm. And yep. a gastroenterologist is going to tell you, you have irritable bowel syndrome, yeah. you know, it's yeah. and uh, it, it really does depend on each specialty kind of has their own niche, but they almost become blinded by that niche where it can be very hard to see the bigger picture and that there may Mm. be other things to consider.
1: Thankfully most of us will not have to deal with a cancer or we hope but I can tell you that the last person that you will ever see is going to be somebody that specializes in cancer. By that point you will have already being diagnosed right yeah that's no, no a,
0: one goes to an oncologist right off the bat it's
1: kind of an upside down system that's the most time critical diagnosis if you're going to get one but they are the last person on the list right
0: it's so true yeah you have to go through all of the other specialists first to wind up there and it's not until you've had your diagnosis and you can hear that clock ticking in your ear that you finally get to see the one doctor that you actually need to see
1: that's food for thought
0: For sources and additional show notes, follow the link in the episode summary to our website. If you'd like to see pictures related to the episodes and the Miss Medical podcast, you can find us on Instagram as Miss Medical Podcast. If you love Miss Medical and want to support the show, find us on Patreon where you can officially join the intern team. All episodes are written by myself and aim to be as factually accurate as possible. Music is an original composition recorded and produced by Jason Chamberlain. And of course, make sure you follow the podcast on your chosen platform so you never miss an episode.